well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with us on the program today. We're going to be talking with my friend Rick Ector of Rick's Farm Academy, illegally armed in Detroit, Detroit CCW on Facebook. Something weird going on in uh, Detroit. Well, I mean, there's always something weird going on when we're talking about uh, the threats to our right to keep and bear arms. But uh, when you've got a city council member trying to declare basically all of downtown Detroit a gun-free zone, yeah, that's worth talking about. And uh, we're going to pick up the conversation with Rick in just one moment. Before we do, however, here's something we really have to think about. What is happening with the banks? It is literally crazy. Can you imagine what this is going to do to the retirement savings of Americans like you and I? Well, I want to tell you what I heard from Augusta Precious Metals. Gold buying is on fire right now because people want gold IRAs to protect their retirement savings. And get this, if you have 100000 plus, say, for retirement, Augusta will pay you in pure gold to learn how gold IRAs can protect you. That is a big deal. A pure gold coin for free. Reach out to Augusta Presses Metals today and learn how you can get started with gold. Don't let bank failures get you down. Get this free gold and get some peace of mind. Just call 855-222-4997 to learn whether gold can help protect your retirement and get your free gold coin. That's Augusta Precious Metals at 855-222-4997. Again, 855-222-4997. All right, so what's going on in Detroit? Um, You've got a city council member who uh, has floated a plan to basically declare all of downtown a a gun-free zone. Not quite sure how they're going to do that. They've talked about uh, setting up, you know, big metal detectors. Uh, This proposal is on hold for now, in part, I think, thanks because of the reaction of Second Amendment advocates like Rick Ector, uh, who have been very vocal in their opposition to this idea. But even though um, the pause button may have been hit for the moment, as you'll hear, Rick is uh, very concerned about the uh, further attempts not only to impose a gun-free zone on downtown Detroit, uh, but to undo the state's firearm preemption law altogether. Take a look and listen. Rick, it is good to see you, sir. Thanks so much for coming to the program today. Hey, man, thanks for the opportunity to come on to the show. Wish it was under better circumstances, but we're up against it right now, man. You really are. I mean, not only do you have these uh, gun control bills that uh, a couple of them already been signed by uh, Governor Whitmer, you got more in the pipeline. But then you've got what's going on at the local level in Detroit where uh, a city council member, and I, I guess maybe more than one, floating this idea of turning most of the downtown area into a gun-free zone. What What is this all about, Rick? It's really plain and simple, man. When, when bad times come, there are some people in a given community who are intent upon inflicting harm onto other people. I'm talking about the necessary uh, criminal element that exists in the city of Detroit. It's not uncommon to other large cities across the country. But uh, we had one particularly uh, bad weekend about a week ago, and a number of people were hurt, killed. And uh, for some reason, they think that implementing gun control would be the solution. Here in the city of Detroit, historically, downtown has been one of the safest areas in the city due to the fact that they disproportionately deploy an inordinate inordinate amount of police officers downtown because that's where all the the interests by the so-called more important people reside or spend their time. We have all the casinos down there. We have a lot of uh, high-end businesses down there. 
and they had a really bad weekend. And, you know, it's just crime is getting bad and police can't keep us safe and they're losing control. And so to give us the facade of being safe, they think that they can deploy, I don't know, maybe metal detectors or something to ensure that unarmed people are congregating downtown. But I really don't know how they can do it with all these locations so spread apart. I mean, it it's a program that's just uh, begging for failure. Yeah, and it also sounds like it might run afoul of state law, right? I mean, Michigan has firearms preemption, uh, which well, means it's the state legislature that, you know, sets the, the uniform body of gun laws. Can Detroit even set its own gun-free zones? Well, see, and that's the point that has always been the case. We've always have had firearms preemption, and we still have it currently. But you have to look at the political landscape. At the last of national election, Michigan, from a pro-gun standpoint, we took a beating. We no longer control the pro-gun party, no longer controls the governor's office, no longer controls the state Senate, no longer controls the state house. So when you look at what they recently did, they recently pushed and got past uh, some legislation to address red flag laws, uh, so-called safe storage and uh, universal registration, registration of long guns. So now it's on the table from a local Detroit city councilwoman that she wants to call upon state government to now look at undoing our preemption law, MCL 123, uh, I believe it's .1102. And basically this says there can be no local gun laws. There must, any law affecting firearms or ammunition must be initiated and passed by the state or the federal government. So this one uh, city councilwoman, she decides that, hey, let's push the envelope even further and let's get the state to modify state law. So how far they want to take it, who knows? Maybe they just want a law that just impacts Detroit, or maybe they want a gun law that impacts uh, cities that have a large disproportionate amount of Black people residing in it. And some people are like, well, gee, Rick, why are you injecting race? It is no secret that gun laws traditionally throughout the history of this country have always had the most strict gun laws in which people of color reside. And so it really seems like history repeating itself and we have absolutely learned nothing. At least the anti-gunners have uh, have learned nothing from this. Um, but I'm curious about other Detroit residents. I mean, you talk about that violent weekend. Has that prompted uh, more calls to use from people saying, listen, I, I want to get my concealed carry license. Things are getting dangerous out here. You know, demand is very high right now. And, you know, firearms trainers, training counselors, they're continuing to train new firearms instructors to keep up with the demand. Uh, the everyday citizen is taking a harder look at becoming lawfully armed in the city of Detroit. There are people I had been personally soliciting for years via social media, and now they're contacting me because crime is really getting out of control. And, you know, the thing is, they can't even show the volume of crime that's occurring because there's not enough space. We still have to talk about the weather and, and other things in the entertainment uh, sphere that people are interested in. So, yeah, it, it's bad and it's going to get worse. And, you know, we look up and there's a new uh, numerous corporations talking about laying people off and trying to buy them out. And, 
you know, their economic forecast that the economy is going to start to turn south. And so I believe it's going to create an even more dire set of circumstances. But lo and behold, man, crime is out of control. And they think that the solution is to delude people that the problem is our gun laws and that keeping law-abiding citizens disarmed is going to somehow protect people. And I say, well, look, just let's make it make sense. If you have, if you could even make these disparate different locations gun-free, when people get there, they're going to be gun-free. But when they leave, they're sitting ducks because they have no way to defend themselves. So I, I don't understand the logic of it, but if it makes people feel good instead of actually being safe, maybe that's the political solution. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think the the logic, quote unquote, is um, don't own a gun, right? Don't 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 carry a gun because we're going to make it impossible for you to do so legally in as many places as possible. So you might you're better off just leaving that gun at home. Um, I think that's the attitude. And I think we've seen that in, you know, states from New York to California, Maryland, New Jersey, basically any state that is uh, Hawaii yesterday just passed their uh, Bruin response bill with a whole bunch of new uh, gun free zones and, you know, quote unquote, sensitive places. And I really do think that they want to make as many public spaces off limits to, to lawful concealed carry as possible so that people just throw up their hands and say it's not worth it. Right. Um, but as you point out, police can't be there to protect everybody. Um, Detroit, like a lot of other departments, has a staffing shortfall right now. So they're not even at 100 percent staffing uh, as violent crime is rising. So the idea that, you know, there's got to be a cop on every corner uh, to protect you, that that's absolutely asinine. Um, I want to make absolutely certain that no one is thinking that I'm vilifying the police. No, it's an honorable profession. And we have, have some great men and women who carry that uh, that uniform and that badge and do the job to the best of their ability. However, they can't be everywhere. And, you know, our local government here in the city of Detroit just doesn't have the resources to hire more police officers. They did recently increase the pay uh, for police officers so that they would be less likely to get trained in the most active city in the state and leave for the suburbs. But still, we still have a shortfall of adequate police to appropriately patrol and respond to calls for assistance. You know, as a gun owner and a gun rights advocate, I consider myself to be my own first responder, but there are people in the city who are not there yet. I don't believe disarming law-abiding citizens, lawful gun owners with the appropriate license is the correct solution. I believe it's going in the wrong direction and it's gonna make us less safe. Hey Amen, I'm right there with you, Rick, uh, honestly. Um... So with the Detroit City Council kind of tabling this motion, uh, and as you say, now they're starting to maybe at least uh, starting the lobbying efforts to undo preemption. What is your advice to gun owners and Second Amendment advocates, uh, not only in the Detroit area, but in Michigan? Because, again, as you say, I mean, if they go after preemption, it might not just be Detroit, right? They might not just carve out Detroit. They might go after, uh, you know, Lansing. Saginaw, basically, you know, any place where there's more than, let's say, 10,000 people uh, living in a particular city, they might want to say, all right, they, they should be able to set their own gun control laws. So what should gun owners be doing right now? Gun owners right now should be definitely calling their local representatives at all levels of government, whether we're talking about at the local level at, and at the state level. Here's the thing. If it's just Detroit, that doesn't make any other community safe. I mean, if it's Detroit, it could be Flint, it could be Pontiac, not only places where people of color are concentrated, but it could be any community. 
And if you're going to be a lawful gun carrier and you happen to leave the, the, the geographical borders of your community, just merely crossing the street could make you subject to violating a gun law. And as we know, gun laws are numerous and they're strictly enforced and they tend to carry heavy penalties. So it's a danger to all people. And lo and behold, someone like me who's been a crime victim in his own driveway, I can't see the sanity of leaving the house without protecting myself, especially when I know that my calls for assistance to law enforcement may not be handled in what I feel to be an expeditious fashion. So look, this is an assault on our freedom. It's an assault on our ability to protect ourselves and people need to get involved and to let folks know. Let, let this city councilwoman, Mary Waters, let her know that they do not stand behind her. She tried to push this legislation for the resolution so that she could get assistance from state government to fall in line and to change the state law, but she received a lot of pushback. This issue, when they were supposed to act, we, come, we had stories on every local uh, network, and we've even had uh, some online newspapers run stories on it. So I think it pushed them back for the moment so they could regroup and reassess. But I I'm hearing from a lot of different people across the city, the issue paradoxically that concerns them is that they were concerned about a set of laws being different in the city as opposed to being uh, like outside of downtown. And so they're like, okay, that's inherently unfair. And I say, yes, I agree. However, I want you to additionally be aware of the fact that if you're a law-abiding gun owner and you carry a firearm, you are in jeopardy of breaking the law if we have different sets of laws all over the place. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Michigan is, is kind of weird in that um, – Possession of a firearm without uh, a, you know, the, 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 the proper license, right? If you're a, if you're a legal gun owner, but you don't have a license to carry, and let's say you're transporting that firearm in your car in a center console, that's a felony, right? That's yes. a, a, a felony charge, mandatory minimum two years in prison, I believe. So, I mean, we're talking about if you bring a gun into a gun-free zone, I imagine that same charge would apply. Um, yes. Again, the, the legal jeopardy to folks exercising their fundamental constitutional right here is real and it is severe. You know, gun laws traditionally are numerous, they're strictly enforced, and there are certain nuances that dictate that if you are intent upon follow, um, carrying a firearm, that you be aware of the laws. Creating a mixture of laws that vary wildly from one community to another is just a recipe for disaster from our perspective, but if you're anti-gun, it plays right into your hands. You can actually influence people not to exercise their rights and paradoxically increase the likelihood that they may be a victim of a violent crime, which is still an issue here in Detroit. Absolutely. Well, listen, Rick, I, I, I cannot thank you enough for fighting the good fight. Um, I'm so glad you could join me on the program today. Keep us up to date with what's going on. All right. Because, you know, you've got an open microphone anytime you want, man. So you're welcome back whenever. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Want to help sound the alarms and let folks know that temporarily they backed off. Uh, they are presumably receiving a lot of pushback from the community. Need to them to keep the pressure on them. And if it's merely an issue to make sure that downtown Detroit is, is not the same as the rest of Detroit, or if you feel that this is an attack on your right to protect yourself, your home, and your family, push back and tell them no. 
Absolutely. Rick Hector, Rick's Fire Academy. Thank you, as always, sir, for uh, being with us on Cam and Company. I'm looking forward to talking to you again very soon. Hey, man, I appreciate you, and thank you for the opportunity of having me on. Absolutely. Rick Hector with us here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I appreciate Rick spending some time with us today, and uh, as always, uh, thank you again for your activism, Rick. All right, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We're going to start there. There's actually a follow-up to yesterday's recidivist report. Remember we told you about what's going on in Washington, D.C., uh, where this guy has been arrested multiple times, almost half a dozen times over the past few years for fondling himself, exposing himself in front of kids. And every time he's arrested, he's charged with a misdemeanor because that's what fondling yourself in front of kids is in Washington. Is he a misdemeanor offense? Um, and under D.C.'s criminal code, misdemeanor charges, those facing misdemeanor charges cannot be held uh, without bond. So time and time again, this guy's been able to post bond, get out, uh, reportedly expose himself again, even while he's out on bond or in one case, probation. But I think the most this guy has ever received, 90 days uh, in jail, despite the fact that uh, neighbors have caught him exposing himself out near a uh, elementary school. Uh, he's been arrested after exposing himself at a public library, at a metro stop, uh, but more recently at a bus stop uh, in the neighborhood. Well, in response to WUSA's reporting, a, a D.C. council member uh, is now vowing to, quote, close the gaps in the legal system. As WESA reports, the chair of the Committee on the Judiciary and Public Safety on the D.C. City Council said that, quote, people who are a threat to their community must not be allowed to continue harassing neighbors. Okay. Now, uh, again, this is great that they're saying these things, but this is part of the, I mean, D.C.'s political culture is part of the problem here. They've taken a soft on crime approach to a lot of crimes. The whole goal is to keep people out of jail, even if they might need to be there. Uh, and they certainly don't seem to have the mental health resources to uh, uh, help anybody who might need it uh, or, you know, again, uh, remove them from society while they get treatment. Um, but let's dig a little bit further into uh, Brooke Pinto's comments about wanting to close the gaps in the uh, legal system. Uh, she said in a statement to WUSA, harassment in the sex crimes is detailed in the report, including indecent exposure for the children are unacceptable. Not only must we have accountability for this type of behavior, but people who are a threat to the community must not be allowed to continue harassing neighbors. Okay, so what does Pinto propose to do about this? Because, again, this would be a change to the D.C. criminal code. Uh, she says, quote, as we continue to update and modernize our criminal code, it's vital that crimes like these with significant community impacts are treated with the appropriate seriousness. It's also imperative that when people are held in D.C. jail, we're providing them with the resources they need to not reoffend in the future. Again, all, all of which is true. I just don't have any confidence whatsoever that the D.C. Council is going to do anything about it. Because it runs contrary to their point of view, which is to keep as many people out of jail for as long as possible to avoid, quote-unquote, mass incarceration. Now, the only crime they seem to take seriously is illegal possession of a firearm. But even then, <laughs> uh, the D.C. prosecutors aren't charging a lot of those cases. Um, so, again, D.C.'s got a dysfunctional criminal justice system. The mental health system's not that I don't about either. But I got to tell you, I, I am uh, less than confident that the arrest of Derek Jones, the latest arrest of uh, Derek Jones, 
accused of committing lewd and indecent acts in front of a five-year-old girl and her father. I, I just don't see this change in anything. This is a, a press release from Pinto to the, at this point. Now, we'll see if there's any substantive uh, legislation introduced as a result of this, but uh, I got to tell you, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, all right, today's armed citizen story from New Orleans, Louisiana. And this, I got to say, is a sad story all around. I'm glad that the uh, victim of this armed robbery was able to protect himself. But the fact that the assailants in this case were as young as 11 and 13 years old uh, is an absolute tragedy. And again, this is not the first time that we've heard of juveniles in New Orleans committing very serious crimes. Um, And again, the juvenile justice system seems to treat young offenders, no matter how serious their violations might be, um, very unseriously, unfortunately. And I don't know if the uh, teens in question or the tweens in question in this case actually have a uh, previous criminal history. New Orleans police uh, have not said whether or not that is the case, but the 11 and 13-year-olds who were wounded, uh, shot in the legs by the intended victim of their armed robbery, uh, now facing attempted armed robbery, first-degree robbery, attempted simple robbery, and illegal possession of stolen property charges, along with their co-conspirators who are aged 15 and 16. Yeah, New Orleans police says the four juveniles were riding in a SUV that had been reported stolen earlier on Sunday. It was also later reported as the suspect vehicle in an attempted robbery that uh, happened about uh, 1.23 Sunday afternoon. A 53-year-old man told police he was approached by two males who fought with him while trying to take his keys. They were unsuccessful. They ended up running away. About 10 minutes later, the group targeted a woman uh, not far away. The group woman standing next to her at Kia Sportage when a male suspect pulled alongside her. He implied that he was armed, demanded the woman's keys. She complied. The suspect then got in her car and drove off. Then just before 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, the red SUV stopped uh, near the 4900 block of Eastern Street, two male suspects emerged from the vehicle with guns. The suspect tried to rob the victim, but that victim was also armed, pulled out his own firearm and shot. New Orleans police could not say on Monday whether the 13 and 11 year old uh, boys were the two armed suspects who got out of the SUV or whether they were inside the vehicle when they were wounded. But after the uh, gunfire, all four suspects fled the scene. The SUV crashed nearby. The four juveniles then got out of the vehicle and tried to run from authorities. They were apprehended by police a a short distance later, about two blocks from the attempted robbery. Victims of the earlier incidents positively identified the juveniles as the perpetrators uh, in each case. The man who shot at the juveniles not arrested, according to authorities. Uh, Why would he be? He was acting in self-defense. You know, and again, it it is absolutely tragic to hear that an 11-year-old, a 13-year-old, 15- and 16-year-old were out there stealing cars, somehow got a hold of a gun, maybe stole that too. Uh, and are sitting there targeting innocent victims. Why? Probably because they thought they could get away with it. You know, there was a carjacking in New Orleans last year, which a uh, I think she was 73 years old. She was killed because she was basically dragged behind her car as a teenager stolen. This teen, again, had a lengthy criminal history, had multiple encounters with police, but nothing really to show for it. Short amount of time in juvenile detention sent on his merry way. Told not to offend again. Uh, You know, Louisiana, uh, New Orleans in particular, has had a problem with violent crime for basically as long as I can remember. Um, But it is disturbing to see the ages of some of these violent offenders here. And it is time for Louisiana to get serious about juvenile justice reform. Because clearly what they've got going on right now isn't working. 
And there do need to be consequences for these serious crimes. When a 12-year-old commits an armed robbery or a 13-year-old commits an armed robbery, the answer isn't to give them a slap on the wrist and then send them back home to their parents with the promise that they won't do it again. And sadly, it sounds like all too often, that's in essence what's happening, right? They may get sentenced to probation. Uh, they might be told, listen, you're, you're going to have to check in with your uh, probation officer. You're going to have to stick to the straight and narrow. But as we've seen time and time again in this program, when probation violations occur, often there are no consequences for that either. Um, again, it's it's sad to see this happening. But I am so grateful that the... Uh, would-be victim in this case, was able to protect himself. It is just a damn shame that the uh, parents of these juveniles are uh, not able to, you know, keep their kids inside on a Sunday afternoon or at least know where they are uh, instead of uh, them running around in stolen vehicles, robbing people at gunpoint. You, uh, you do that long enough, yeah, you're going to run across an armed citizen. And uh, hopefully this will be the wake-up call, if nothing else that these uh, young kids need, and they will try to turn their life around, stay on the street and narrow going forward. All right, finally, today's armed citizen story, excuse me, uh, today's good deed of the day, uh, from Salt Lake City, where an Army staff sergeant in the right place at the right time wasn't able to do the right thing to help a man who had been shot in a road rage shooting. Uh, this happened uh, just a couple of days ago. The uh, staff sergeant in question, uh, Amber Oaks, was heading home from work. She uh, said she had to go to Costco. She didn't really want to go to Costco. She was just hoping to get home, change, relax. But she said there was just this overwhelming feeling of, no, you got to go to Costco. So she turns her car, starts heading towards Costco. And as she's on the way, she sees a car, um, basically with a driver inside, uh, and she could tell something was wrong. Uh, she says, as I passed by the car, I knew it was my duty to stop and help. Um, she could see there was somebody trying to help the driver. She said, uh, they let me know that it was a drive-by shooting. The man had been shot twice. Um, Oak said she jumped right in, making sure that somebody had called 911. Then running around to the passenger side, opening the door, she said there was already a mass amount of blood. He was shot once on the left side, once on the right side. Uh, Oak says she is a, uh, a combat lifesaver certified, and she uh, quickly defaulted to her training with what she had available to her. Happened to be a leather belt uh, and a, a traditional tourniquet. She said, I pulled the belt on the left side above the elbow, asked the man to take a deep breath, told him it was going to hurt, and then I cinched the belt down as a tourniquet. She then applied the traditional tourniquet to the right arm uh, and then a second conventional tourniquet to the left arm above the belt when a police officer showed up with one. She said, I've been so trained on this, it was like second nature to me. I was so grateful for the years of training and the hours, the endless hours of training that I've been provided uh, that my leadership had given me because I know exactly what to do. She said it was seven to nine minutes between when she showed up and the time that the first ambulance arrived. And she believed that given the loss of blood, that the man not have made it had she been not there uh, with her experience and her ability to help. She said, I absolutely believe in my heart and soul. I don't know if that man would have survived. Uh, she says now she believes that the feelings she had were meant to put her in a position to help that man. She said, I'll call it intuition, gut instincts. I do believe in God and a higher power. And I absolutely believe that I was meant to go that way to be placed in the trajectory of that man's life because I don't believe that it was his time to die. Uh, that individual, that uh, victim, Carlos Martinez, uh, is recovering from his injuries. His family has set up a, a GoFundMe account. Um, at last report, though, Salt Lake City police say they are still looking for the uh, gentleman who shot, I won't call him a gentleman, the uh, SOB 
who shot Martinez in this uh, road rage incident. Uh, we'll let you know if any arrests are made. But again, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Uh, U.S. Army Staff Sergeant Amber Oaks, we thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always, and I'm looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. Until then, be sure to check out BearingArms.com. We are updating the website throughout the day with all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. And if you like what you see, I'd, of course, encourage you to become a VIP member as well. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. And you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. And as our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content. New stories, analysis you won't find anywhere else. Because your support really does matter. And it truly does make a difference. So thank you again. I really do appreciate it. We'll see you back here on Thursday. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.